Hello, and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip, innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible, and ultimately push them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation for marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to What Makes Them Tip. I'm your host, Jeff Ford, and on this show, I have the privilege of talking to amazing people who are doing amazing things and truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space. And we get to hear their secrets to success, get some good advice, and hopefully improve our own journey. And today, we're talking to a true innovator who definitely has designs on success. So please say hello to founder and president of Mako Design, Kevin Mako. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Really happy to be on the show. I'm so glad that you're here. And as always, we, we do like to start the show by learning a little bit about your business. Tell us what you do over at Maco Design. The quick story is essentially we do global caliber consumer product design for physical products, things, gadgets, inventions, electronics, stuff you expect in Best Buy, Kmart, Walmart, etc. Um, we do that design development work from idea all the way through to production for small manufacturers, startups, and home inventors. Awesome. That's really, yeah, I was looking at your website and there's some, I mean, yeah, it's just like all kinds of, of uh, like devices and things like that. What are some of the, what are some of the things that you guys have been involved with creating? All, all kinds. I mean, we've got uh, four offices now from coast to coast. Um, we work on almost 200 projects per year. Um, so all kinds of crazy little gadgets, uh, underwater fishing camera, a new type of toilet plunger, um, the moonlight product that uh, goes on top of a iPhone or cell phone uh, flashlight and tells a story to your your child using a little viewfinder thing onto the ceiling when the lights are out. Like all kinds of cool innovations that that aren't ours. It's people who came up with these brilliant ideas and then they came to us to get it from that concept into an actual business, which requires, you know, the hard part is design, engineering, prototyping, getting sure. manufacturing, filing the patent, all that sort of stuff. And that's where we come in. Awesome. So, so tell me how that works then. So somebody comes up with a great idea for a product. They've, they've envisioned it. They've got maybe, you know, some sketches on a napkin <laughs> and then they come to you. Uh, and so then what do you guys do? Jeff, you know, you mentioned the sketch on a napkin thing that happens way more frequently than we'd like to admit. Like it's a real thing. The amount of times that somebody comes in with a literal sketch on a napkin or a piece of paper or some <laughs> other thing, and they've just hacked it out. But the interesting thing is so many of these are really are, are brilliant. So many of these products that have gone on to be multi-million dollar successes from our clients really just started out with that aha moment. Most of the time, it's just something that people noticed in their life that was an inconvenience to them. Mm. And then they leverage that to say, okay, this should be a better solution. They started thinking about it and all of a sudden, bam, they hit that aha moment that, you know, and that's where kind of the, the innovation comes in. And they said, well, look, I, I want to be the person that does this. I can really change the lives of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people through this innovation, right? So that's when they give us a call or shoot us an email or just even start 
learning about this sort of stuff, right? And, uh, you know, that's the best thing that you can do. Just start, get on to Google, start taking a look, right? Awesome. That's, yeah, I feel like that, that happens to me all the time. I'm like, I get this great idea. I have no idea. I'm like, you know, what would be great is if we had a, this that did this so that I wouldn't have to do this anymore. And then it's like, well, I have no idea how to even begin making that happen. So I forget about it, but instead yeah. I should be calling you, right? Next time you have one, let us know, right? I mean, we, we're always happy to chat about it. Uh, a lot of the time, it's, it's, it's not a fit for us. And it, at least, like, we don't really care. At least we can help somebody point them in the right direction, get them the right resources, the right people, the right teams or whatever. And if it is a great fit for us, you know, amazing, right? And we'll, we'll work together and, and that's that. But the easiest thing to do is just to get direction because it is a bit confusing. Yeah, as you mentioned right there, like, what do you do? You have this innovation. What is next? So that's where we try and make that very easy. We've been doing this for 20 years. This is all we did. It, it comes back to the early days when I had an idea in high school and I started poking around. This is back in 1999. Like, what the heck do I do with this thing? Right. <laughs> and the deeper I dug into the physical product development space, the more I realized how exponentially difficult it is for small business or startups to get into this game. And when I started getting really curious and said, hey, man, there should be a business around this, like global caliber, really high-end quality design, modern edge design, but tailored to the small folks, um, everybody essentially laughed at me right out of that idea. I was talking to head of marketing firms, other you know, old school, traditional industrial design, mechanical engineering firms. And everybody basically told me the same thing. They said, oh, you don't want to get into the bat that business. We, we don't like startups. We don't deal with them. You know, you, you avoid them. If you have to take them on to pay the bills, of course, do that. But, but then you just use them as a stepping stone to get to those big corporate revolving, um, you know, monthly billable hour contracts. Mm. And that was it. That was the aha moment. And, it, and the funny thing is you talk about, I'm sure a lot of businesses, they pivot, they change that business model that was was curated in high school. I incorporated in university. I went through two major recessions when I was trying to get this thing off the ground. That business model, or at least the vision, is the exact same as it was back in 1999 that it is today in 2021. Wow. And you don't go 20 years doing something like this uh, and being as, uh, without uh, making a few mistakes along the way. No I doubt. assume. Tell me a little bit about the early days. And obviously you ran into some trouble, even just from people who, you know, thought that what you're t talking about isn't the right solution. What was it that kind of, you know, prompted or motivated you to just continue with this idea? Well, Jeff, for your listeners, just put yourself in my shoes. Imagine you're a young, you know, starry eyed high school kid. You've got these big dreams and ambitions that you started thinking about because you came up with that idea. And then you, you start to look into it and pursue it. And then bam, 1999, the 2000 bubble hits. Mm. And essentially anybody in kind of startup business or that, that sort of space, um, any big design firms, all that, everybody was, was, was majorly, majorly getting hit. So the advice is very pessimistic at the time. But I took the hit and I kept poking away at it while also doing my studies and all of that. And I decided in 2006, okay, I'm going to incorporate this halfway through university. Mm -hmm. I, I do a federal incorporation of the business. I get the website up and all this sort of stuff. I even so much as went on to, I was studying at university for business school. I said, you know what? I need to take another um, uh, academic program after this. I'm going to go to Hong Kong University and learn supply chain management and manufacturing. Perfect. 
head over there, spent all this money, get back and I'm ready to go. And I said, you know what? I'm going to turn down these job offers. I was section class president at the top business school. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to turn down the job offers. I'm going to go head first into this. And then bam, 2007 recession hits. <laughs> that was the day I basically moved into my condo, $50,000 in student debt was essentially when the news started breaking about all the, you know, the, the financial issues that were happening with the banking sector, which had massive ripple effects through the economy. So there we go. Now I'm trying to bootstrap this thing. I have no investors. I have no business debt that I can access. I'm going purely deal by deal, four, six weeks at a time. Every time I landed a customer, I'd be, I get a few bucks. I hired a part-time industrial designer working project by project in my condo. And slowly started to scale, nearly scraping that bankruptcy like hurdle over and over and over again. Every time we started to get some success, we'd pour more money into it, essentially risk it all again and double up again. And this went on basically for my entire 20s. But I can tell you, there are a few key tipping points in there where it went from this like hardcore, never ending circular struggle of growth um, to really turning it into, you know, the successful design empire that it is today in a way. Yeah. Tell, well, tell, yeah, let's go into that. Let's talk about how you have kind of innovated then to, to make it what it is today. Well, there's three, three main things that I want to talk about um, that really, you know, through my, my mid twenties, as I was now three or four years into the business um, that really made a major difference. Uh, number one, focus. And this doesn't just mean a personal level of focus on the business, although that's a big part of it, really making sure that you're choosing if you're going to start a business or grow your business or even your career, um, and you really want to get to the next level, you're going to have to make sacrifices in your personal life, and you're going to have to have a, just a relentless dedication and focus to the cause. However, focus also refers to the actual business that you are developing. One of the mistakes that I made early on as a typical young entrepreneur in the design space is I said, hey, you know, whether you're a big corporation, a small one, whatever else, we'll help you. I mean, we primarily work with small ones, but of course, we you know, would like to have some big ones. And no matter what industry you're in, you know, we were looking at random machines and other things that we weren't really involved with, uh, we'll help design it. The reality was we were only experts and even I would say at that point, emerging experts at one thing. That was startup product development for small mass manufactured consumer products. Mm. So I made a decision about halfway through my 20s, not very long into this business career, where I said, we are going to focus exclusively on the small folks, exclusively on hardware, exclusively on uh, mass manufactured consumer products. And if you look at our website today, it says the same thing. Mm. It was really the intent back in 99. It was what I incorporated in 2006. Around 2010, it became a focus of exclusivity. We didn't do apps, marketing, branding, consumer research, anything. We just focus on building products from sketch to production. That is our niche and only for small, the small folks. And that was a major turning point where we could really nail down that sales began to just flourish hmm. very soon after that point. So that's number one, focus. Yeah. Second one is thinking about scale before you get to the point where you start growing. One of the best decisions I made in and around the same time was building absolutely every process in our company into the cloud. So whether it was our phone system or our customer relationship management system or a project management system, our email system, our file system, 
absolutely everything was put into the cloud and all of the processes were built literally in just Google Doc format. Here is how you put in a new customer. Here is how you file a receipt. Here is how you um, pick up the phone. All of these sorts of things built into essentially an ever-evolving process document to highlight all the key processes, but also using technology to make sure that you're able to scale from that. Mm. So that when you actually get to the point where now you've doubled in sales, have twice as many phone calls coming in, and you have uh, twice as many customers to deal with, you're not fighting that battle of how do I manage all of these things as, as they grow. As you can imagine, managing five projects is very different than managing 200. But if your goal is to get to 200, it's far easier to start implementing your systems when you're at five than when you're at 50 or so on. It only gets exponentially more difficult to modify every single piece to fit within a new system. So build the systems first so that scaling becomes easy or okay. easier, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number three, overspend on the quality of your service offering. This was one of the toughest things. The first industrial designer that I hired, that part-time person working out of the condo, that was the cheapest industrial designer that I could find, fresh out of college, was willing to work for, for me, the schmuck who had this idea, right, coming out of nowhere. And as such, as you can imagine, it produced mediocre results. As you grow and become focused, it allows you then to hone in on the experts who are actually really good at executing on what your exact clients want. And then what really was the key here on the overspend portion of that is I said, I'm going to hire the best of the best and I can't afford it right now. But I hope that by bringing on the best of the best will then help execute at a far greater caliber, which will lead to more referrals, better reviews, and so on in this, in this big snowball, especially with the emerging market of online reviews and transparency and all this sort of stuff. There's no such thing as faking it anymore. Mm. So if you can attempt to over-deliver on some of the earlier customers, that will exponentially grow that snowball effect of the referrals, leads, referrals, or reviews, et cetera, so that as you're scaling, you're scaling on the backs of quality work. Basically, what I want is for every dollar that somebody spends to Maco, I want to be giving them $5 back in value or more. Mm. Right? Value is key. And that all comes down to the quality that you're able to afford. And the interesting thing was, it was a gamble at the time. I actually played that gamble multiple times. I did it once hiring then. I did it again when I started an electronic engineering division within the company because half of our products had electronics in them. And I did it a third time um, when we opened our second office. And I, I just went to hire the absolute best of the best and work my way down from there. I literally went to everybody I knew in town and said, who's the best designer you know in Austin, Texas? And what, finally, when I heard the same name three times, mm. that was the guy I hired. He's still our director of design right now in Austin. So the key was overspending so that you could really, really hit that quality metric and do that well. And the only way you're going to do a good quality job is if you're very focused. And of course, you have the technology to scale. That forms the three major tipping points to Maco design and would be for many companies. Yeah. And it sounds like to me, at, 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 and I've heard so many other people in these interviews say that um, you can't, if you're going to skimp, don't skimp on the people, right? The people are the ones that help help your your business survive. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, for us entirely, because we are a team of designers and engineers and such. Um, so you know, you could look at it if you're if you're providing a, 
if you're pro providing certain materials or whatnot, you know, if you're providing wood, <laughs> make right. sure it's the best quality wood that you can afford if you're trying to create uh, a quality business. If you're trying to get that appearance of being uh, of great value to your customers, that's the key. So, but usually that involves people as well. So again, you never skimp on people, usually no matter what you're selling, but also if you are selling something that's a non-intellectual resource, it's still the same principle applies. Yeah. I also, one quick point on that when it comes to the word MVP, I know you hear this a lot, minimum viable product. It kind of got a dirty connotation for a while to say, uh, you know, people were thinking, oh, just release kind of crap and then fix it as it goes. I look at it as the exact opposite. If you focus on number one, which is focus, uh, I look at something I call smart MVP. Use the MVP model. Focus on your minimum viable product. But that doesn't mean making it cheap and getting it out there. That mm. means cutting out all of the features you don't absolutely need, focusing on your one or two key value propositions to a very, very niche demographic, and then executing on that small isolated bracket in a very high quality. Yeah. That to me is MVP. We actually do that same model with our hardware clients. We always, they, they always have this thing we call a feature creep. They come up with all these crazy ideas for the product. We scale it down and down and down to the point where we have a very good quality, very niche, very refined pinpoint um, solution that, that solves a niche demographic problem. That's great. Is there a specific point that you would say if you were looking back over the last 20 years where you kind of, I guess was a was a a crowning achievement, a crowning moment, a tipping point that just kind of said, "Wow, this is work. This is where we are." Maybe it was early, maybe it was last <laughs> week, uh, but what would what would that be for you? Like, when did you finally realize, like, this is this is right. This is what I want to do with the rest of my career. Jeff, that's a good question. It actually never really happened in like an acute way. Mm -hmm. um, I felt it was always, first of all, because we were organically financed, I still to today don't have any investors, any debt, any business partners, um, no financing. It's, it's purely organic growth story. Um, wow. So I was growing, you know, 20, 30, 40% per year, which in the kind of high paced growth tech world uh, was chump change. But to me, it was great, but stable and logical growth. And if you continue to do that year after year after year, 10, 15 years in a row, you actually have a very sizable business um, starting from nothing. So the the interesting thing is it, we never really had that major jump where one year all of a sudden tripled or whatever else. Um, it never really was a focus of mine. If I was to really isolate uh, it down to kind of a point, I would say five or six years ago, I really felt that between industrial design, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, with project managers, with strategists, this whole kind of snowball effect of everything in the company working really well, really harmoniously together, really five six, or six years ago kind of happened when we hit um, about 16 or 17 people. It was like the perfect size that we could just execute really well at a high quality and very efficiently for customers. So at that point, we actually stopped uh, changing our price structure. It's still a very similar price structure today as it was three or four years ago. We just do more volume now. So we found like our sweet spot and we just stayed at it. But to get to that sweet spot was not an acute moment. It was all these little slow improvements happening under those three things. Focus, uh, focus on essentially a, a product, focus on a business personally, use the technology to scale and overspend on quality. 
till we hit that point where we said, no, this is a really great system, really great processes. Now we can simply scale on volume. Don't change anything, slightly improve stuff here and there, but focus on volume now that you've kind of figured out the, the model. Wow. Man, Kevin, there's just so much to unpack from what you've shared today. You have, <laughs> I mean, it's great. This is great advice. I, I hope people are writing some of this stuff down. Um, if there, if maybe there's somebody out there who has this great idea. And uh, before we go, I want to make sure you have a chance to tell them uh, where they can go, where they can find you and how they can get their idea uh, into an actual product. What can they do? You know what? Rather than um, uh, pitching the business, I mean, uh, Mako Designs, the, the company, um, feel free to look it up. But actually, I think the best thing that you can do if you have an idea is head over to our podcast, the Product Startup Podcast. Of course, it's free. Um, and every week we have really interesting, very powerful, um, highly successful individuals, both both inventors who have been quite successful in the market, but also people who are involved in the, in the physical product market, you know, gadgets, inventions, that sort of stuff that, that have been very successful as either a service provider, a partner, whatever else. Um, so it's the Product Startup, productstartup.com. Uh, I just took it over five episodes ago, so I'm fairly new to the podcast hosting world. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun, and we have, especially in 2021, just the next three months, we have an incredible lineup of uh, absolute top caliber guests coming on the show. So check it out. That, that's the easiest thing you can do is just start educating yourself uh, about what the product industry is all about. That's great. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to add that to my uh, my playlist of podcasts that I enjoy on a daily basis. I'm always going there. I love podcasts. So this is great. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for all the great information that you've shared with us today, Kevin. This has been a fascinating conversation. I can't wait to see, uh, you know, what other people are going to be able to get and glean from this to help them on their own journey. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, you're a great host. I was really happy to, uh, to, to get invited onto the show and uh, hope to do it again sometime. Appreciate all it. Right. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for listening. We appreciate your time. And we want to make sure that you keep listening to What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. I'm Jeff, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arkalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arkalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.